You're listening to The Singing Academic, Episode 3. Welcome to The Singing Academic, a monthly podcast that explores topics and issues related to musical studies within the scope of higher education. I'm your host, Kristen Huggins, Division Chair of Fine Arts and Professor of Voice and Diction at Trinity Valley Community College in Texas. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Singing Academic. Most importantly, Happy New Year! (laughs) 2018 is gone. Thank goodness. Maybe some of you had a really great 2018. If so, I'm very happy for you. 2018 was a bit of a struggle for me. A lot of change, a lot of new things, a lot of new projects. So I'm really looking forward to settling into 2019 and finding my routine, uh, having a little bit more R&R time. Uh, For those of you who may be listening to this episode, perhaps in the middle of the semester or a little bit later, if you're a student or a teacher, I'm so sorry if talking about the new year gives you PTSD or or makes you nostalgic for Christmas holidays. Um, This actually, today is the first day that I am back in office since Christmas uh, 2018 holidays. In fact, the campus is completely empty right now. There's no students. There's no teachers. It's just us uh, administrators here trying to get back in the swing of things. And you know that you're a teacher when you get back in your office and it's been three or four weeks and you kind of look around and you think, what did I have to do? (laughs) Where's my list? Where's my list of things to do? Why did I not clean that coffee mug out? And did I clean the fridge out before I left? Oh gosh, I'm scared to open it. In fact, I haven't opened my fridge yet. So a a lot of things to do the first day back. But because it's so quiet, because there's no one on campus, I figured, hey, let's go ahead and knock out some of these uh, lecture series episodes real quick while I I have the chance. If you hear some bumps in the background, uh, we are in the process of cleaning out our classrooms and moving out desks and chairs and whatnot. So you may hear a little bit of background noise today, but I think that'll be much better than normal class time activity atmosphere noise. So... All right, moving on to our episode of the day. Today is episode three, Performance Preparation, the Do's and Don'ts. Uh, Please be aware that this episode, while not intended as a core lecture uh, for my vocal studio class, it is intended as a vocal resource for vocalists preparing for the audition season. So whether you're gearing up for your first round of auditions for undergraduate admissions, for transfer admissions, or you're getting ready for your full, first full-length recital, maybe you're gearing up for competition season, which is a whole nother beast. <laughs> um, no matter where you are in that spectrum, performance preparation plays a key role in reducing your anxiety and maximizing your muscular efficiency and ultimately boosting your self-esteem for the big day. I know as vocalists, we <laughs> there's, there's a lot of mental um, dissonance involved. Uh, whenever we're gearing up for a performance and during the performance itself. So knowing, A, what your body responds well to, uh, what you need to do ahead of time leading up to that performance day, and then how to take care of your body in the cool-down process as well can really help maximize that audition, whatever that audition is for. It's also important to note that the do's and don'ts that were compiled for today's episode are taken both from personal experience and professional experience of my colleagues, my fellow 
musicians, uh, fellow professors that I learned from in my education. So these tried and true methods were generally, I would say for the majority, worked for myself and my fellow vocalists. But again, please feel free to adapt and alter them as you see fit to find out what works best for you. Vocalists are really inhibited by our bodies, both like body types, uh, voice types, what our stamina levels are. Um, and so I think that finding this list and tweaking it in order to figure out how to really maximize that day is going to be really important. So with that in mind, let's start off with our very first don't. Vocalists. Don't expect water to solve your immediate vocal discomfort. I cannot count the number of times I've walked by an audition or a jury and watched a gaggle of vocalists guzzle water like they just crossed the Gobi Desert. And I was guilty of this at a younger age when I was a younger singer. Um, I remember <laughs> for us Texans, TMEA auditions, uh, all state auditions, having all the vocalists, especially sopranos, in one room and they were drinking water like it was going out of style. And then 30 minutes later going into their audition room to sing thinking that that was going to hydrate their throats, hydrate their vocal cords and help them sing to the best of their ability. Now, while consuming water before or during a performance might really keep the mouth and throat cavities moist and therefore head off that infamous anxiety-induced dry mouth that makes us so uncomfortable and we have those horrible monologues in our head going, oh my gosh, I can't swallow, my tongue is going to shrivel up and die, how am I going to sing, am I gonna sing this beautiful Italian awe if my tongue is no longer in existence? Because we've all been there. <laughs> um, while consuming water before may help with those issues, any immediate relief for dry, uncomfortable, or inflexible vocal cords is actually a psychosomatic response because water absorption timelines do not work within 30 minutes of a performance. It takes much longer for the water to be absorbed in your body, dispersed, and therefore lubricate said vocal cords. Um, and that those timelines actually are very dependent upon your body type, the activities that you're being that you're doing at the time of consumption and the amount of water consumed previously in you know the day, two days before. So if you're, say, uh, singing a recital and you're parking and barking for the most part versus you're in a full-length opera in a lead role that requires you to run about stage and climb on things and be hung from the rafters, you're going to need different water absorption uh, for those two events. The best piece of advice I can give is to just be sure and drink moderate amounts of water starting four days prior to a performance to maximize your water retention for hydrated and flexible vocal cords. If you start four days out, that way you're making sure that you know no matter what the activity is, um, you have been hydrated previously and you're going to start off you know maybe you have a little bit of dry mouth and that's what that immediate water right before you walk into that audition room, what that's going to help with. Uh, but the water consumed prior is what's really going to help those cords smooth and come together phonate cleanly. Also, another point to mention on the opposite side of this spectrum, please be careful not to drink too much water. It is possible to overhydrate, and when you overhydrate yourself, uh, not only are you having to make extra trips to the restroom, but you're also flushing out uh, essential nutrients that your body needs to retain. So moderate, 
moderate amounts of water. Don't go guzzling gallons of water right before thinking that that's going to help you. That actually will probably do more harm than good. Moving on to our first do. Do warm up both vocally and physically in small intervals throughout the day of the performance. Now, we come to an impasse on this one because I'm a little torn. If you're a student, you may have uh, more flexibility in your schedule in order to really adhere to this principle. If you're a working musician, however, this is not always possible for us. We, if you're a professional musician, we've all been stuck in that situation of warming up in the car as you're going between gigs and while also putting on eyeliner and tying your tie or trying not to get mowed down on the interstate. Um, not that I've ever done that, <clears throat> but we, we, if you're a working musician, I realize that we don't all possess that flexibility of scheduling where we can warm up in small intervals all throughout the day. You wake up and you warm up for 30 minutes or you do your stretches or you have X amount of technique work in the middle of the afternoon. If, if that's the case, God bless you. Uh, we've all been there. Find a bathroom, find a car and, or a closet somewhere and do the best you can. But if you are hopefully a student with a more traditional schedule, or if you do have that scheduling freedom to map out your performance day as planned, minimum, what really has worked for me and for others that I've talked with, uh, four hours prior. Now, it's really important to note, you will not be phonating the entire four-hour duration. I think that would be ridiculous, but you know, I feel like it needs to be said in case there's any misconception with that statement. <laughs> uh, what you will be doing is building a solid foundation using the following combinations. Starting off with easy lip trills, semi-occluded vocal exercises, really simple um, exercises just to warm the voice up and kind of limber up those vocal cords without too much back pressure. Moving on to testing your onset, making sure that everything with the onset is coordinated properly dependent upon that day. Do you have allergies? Have you just gotten over a cold? How much sleep did you get? And then once we uh, get that established, moving to agility exercises, and then finally adding your specific repertoire requirements for that day. Your audition rep is always going to change dependent upon what you're auditioning for, whether that's a specific program, a young artist program, uh, if you're in a competition, if you are auditioning for uh, lead secondary roles with a opera company. It, so really knowing what that rep is going to demand of you vocally and tailoring those exercises that you use prior to attacking that repertoire, I shouldn't say the word attacking, approaching the repertoire is uh, really important. So that way you're intentional with what you're warming up with that day. It's also important to note that because your body is your instrument, you need to set aside time before phonation to conduct full body stretches. Emphasis on full body. <laughs> uh, some of my beginning students incorrectly assume that singing is an upper body venture. And it, it really kills me whenever they finally figure out that your legs actually serve as an indirect secondary support system. You know, thinking about the muscles on the tops of your thighs, those are indirectly connected to your support system through a series of ligaments and tendons. Therefore, if you're not using or activating or engaging your leg muscles in some form or fashion, if they're just standing there like 
brain dead stalks as you're singing, you're cutting off half of your job, half of the, the powerhouse below you that could be assisting, helping engage, keep the blood flowing. I mean, it's Mm. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a sore subject with me. So full body warm-ups, please. Uh, if you fail to get the blood flowing, if you fail to activate those muscles and engage in hyper-awareness of your limbs, uh, then you're really doing yourself a disservice and cutting off the horsepower to your voice. Things like abdominal twists, leg lunges, bending at the waist and stretching your spine, yoga. Oh my good, good night. I sound like a soprano when I say this. But yoga is absolutely fantastic when gearing up for a performance. It opens the body. It increases blood flow. It um, creates a hyper-awareness of your body and what your limbs and coordination, how all that works together. And if anything, it just connects you to your breath, which as vocalists is like, you know, muy importante. So yoga, if you know it, it's fantastic. If you don't know it, throw on a YouTube video. At this point, <laughs> that should be simple. But above all else, when you're doing this, please remember that you don't want anything too strenuous. You're not aiming to get your heart rate up. You're not aiming for cardio. You're just wanting something to waken the body up and making sure that you can feel your muscles, feel your body engaging as you sing. Um, you want to keep that heart rate steady. Be sure to maintain diaphragmatic breathing during these stretches, um, being really careful not to engage in that clavicular breathing. If your heart rate elevates, then your body will then activate fight or flight mode, which will dump lovely chemicals of epinephrine and norepinephrine into your system. And these will affect your muscle density and the texture of your vocal cords, therefore affecting the sensation of phonation, uh, your ability to sustain lyrical phrases, and ultimately will alter your fine motor control during melismatic coloratura sections. So, rule of thumb, keep that heart rate down and maintain low diaphragmatic breathing because, as we all know, diaphragmatic breathing is also a tool that uh, people with anxiety use to help control their heart rate. It maintains that lovely low heart rate. Clavicular breathing increases the heart rate and runs the risk of that fight or flight mode being kicked in. All right, so we've looked at uh, warming up in small intervals vocally and physically. We've looked at water absorption. Let's take a look at the digestive side of things. So this is our second do for the episode. Do avoid foods that cause acid reflux or digestive distress. I really don't want to explain digestive distress. I hope that the label enough <laughs> explains what I'm getting at. But acid reflux especially um, is an important ailment that all vocalists need to be aware of. It is every singer's nightmare, um, dependent upon the food you eat, how stressed you are, even your genetic predisposition. Um, I had no idea. I, I suffer from acid reflux, and it's gotten now to where I can manage it with my diet and my stress levels and my sleep. But I had no idea that I had acid reflux in the first place because there was no symptoms. I had no heartburn, no pain immediately after meals. Um, my, my favorite comfort food is something my, my mom used to cook for me when we were home on the weekends or if I was sick, and it's this tomato, buttery, garlicky soup with rotini noodles in it uh, topped with croutons. Oh, my gosh. 
and then some shredded Parmesan. My mouth is literally watering as I'm thinking about it. It sounds ridiculous, but it's like my absolute favorite meal. But I'm literally eating a vat of tomato juice, which is highly acidic. So when I was in college and I would eat this weekly, I shouldn't have been surprised when I started losing my voice. Um, I started first losing notes on the top. I think I lost about a minor third of a range on top. And at the moment, at that time, I was uh, working on the queen, which was not ideal. And then uh, when I started losing my stamina, I think it got down to where I could sing about an hour a day, and then I would just become hoarse. And I wasn't, I was really careful in how I spoke, you know, social speaking, uh, conversating. I was making sure I wasn't yelling at football games. I was getting plenty of sleep. So I was really confused as to why my voice all of a sudden was on the fritz. So I went to go see an ENT, ear, nose, or throat doctor, and they scoped me and discovered highly irritated cords due to acid reflux. Uh, the kind, actually, that creeps in the night like a Tim Burton movie and sat on my cords till morning, causing a world of issues. So I had to really manage uh, my diet, especially around performance days like recitals, like uh, auditions, competitions. So if those days were coming up, no pizza, no tomato products, dairy, absolutely not, um, no alcoholic beverages, so let's, let's see, let's look at the list here. I have a list, rules for foods that I've adhered to. No sweets 24 hours prior. Um, this isn't necessarily an acid production, but they do cause mucus to form. And mucus secretions accumulating in your throat might also, also cause irritation, which can eventually lead to infection or inflammation. So no candy, no sweets 24 hours before. Uh, no dairy, like I said. Dairy does coat the throat. Coach your vocal cords. It makes you feel like you're singing with a cotton ball in your throat, which can be uncomfortable but not necessarily damaging. However, if you have acid reflux, the consumption of dairy causes the stomach to create hydrochloric acid to begin the breakdown of said dairy, uh, which can really create some long-term issues from for those who suffer from acid reflux because uh, then you start to have vocal issues as a result. Um so really dairy is no bueno, especially if you're going to be coming up on those performance days. No alcohol. And I know college students who are over 21, I know this is lame, but you know what's even more lame? <laughs> Failing your vocal jury after paying $500 per credit hour for your 14-week course because you didn't possess the self-control to moderate your drinking habits. So don't waste your money and don't waste your time. Please do not drink especially right around performance days. I'm not your mama, but there's that. I've said my piece. <laughs> so those are the rules for foods. Um, acid reflux, if you feel like you are exhibiting any symptoms of acid reflux, please feel free to visit your ENT and have them give you a scope. Check with your medical insurance to make sure that it's covered um, before you do so, so you don't get a lovely bill. Um, but they can tell you pretty quickly what's going on. And if it's acid reflux, it's a very quick fix. It's a pill every day for however long to get the swelling to go down and stop the acid production and then just some lifestyle changes. All right, our second don't. Don't blow your voice out by excessive talking. 
<laughs> now, I've noticed this with podcasting. As I record podcasts, I notice that my voice tends to get tired at the end of each series, um, just because each podcast episode takes countless times of stopping and restarting and editing and me saying really stupid things and having to delete that and then re-record the whole thing. Um, so the way you use your voice professionally and socially can affect how your singing voice is because um, imagine, if you will, you have a, a, a time turner, a sand clock. I'm, I don't know the perfect, I don't know the term for it. The little, little time turner sand clock thing. We're going to call it that. That's so professional. I'm outside the realm of music. I'm an idiot, apparently. Uh, but your voice has a certain amount of time per day uh, that you can sing. You can sing healthily without any issues. And then once you start getting to the last grains of sand on that time, that's when you start doing damage. And the amount of time you have depends on your level of proficiency, how long you've been training, uh, the uh, amount of practice you've done, how well you're taking care of your body. So that time can fluctuate per day. You have to really be aware of what your body is doing. But something I didn't realize in undergrad was that me talking with my friends, going to football games because we're in Texas and that's what you do, uh, <laughs> uh, talking with my mom on the phone. My mom and I are very close. We talk a lot. That all takes away from your vocal stamina. You're wasting that time clock. Not a waste, but if you're gearing up for, for performance day, you have to be really careful and liberal in how you apply that time. So if you're talking excessively leading up to performance day, you're using up your stamina. You're not going to have that horsepower available for you come audition day. So speech pathologists are fantastic in helping, assessing, helping to assess and treat bad habits in your speech patterns. Um, what I, I have been to a speech pathologist, A, because of my accent. I'm from Texas, and my accent had a lovely time of um, affecting my vowel production, uh, my range of speech. Americans in particular, range of speech is really interesting because Americans in particular have a bad habit of speaking in lower frequencies. So if you think about, you know, that stereotypical Southern American Especially males, you know, they kind of talk like this, like, hmm, well, Texas. But in America, you know, this is, this is a predominant uh, characteristic for America in general. If you were to go overseas, especially um, Europe or Asia, it's, it's, I don't know if culturally, I'm not sure what it signifies or psychologically what it signifies, but they tend to speak in a bit higher register and it's a bit more relaxed of a tone, which is really nice. It's relaxing to hear, but then that's so different than what we do over across this side of the ocean. Uh, <laughs> so when you're speaking, be, be mindful if you're speaking really low, almost near that vocal fry register. You're not doing yourself any favors, and you could be doing damage. Um, when you speak, what I found was really interesting. This is a good test. You uh, put on some noise-canceling headphones, turn them on, and then say a monologue. Or it could be simple as, my name is Kristen Huggins, I live in Texas, and I'm a professor of voice. And 
Focus more on the sensations of your throat and where you feel those vibrations set in. And then turn off the headphones, take them off, and say the same exact thing again. And notice if it shifts, because then you're listening more to the acoustical feedback of your voice, and you're altering the tone of your voice accordingly with what you think it should sound like as opposed to what it really does sound like when in a relaxed state. It's a really interesting experiment. I've started practicing with noise-canceling headphones just to establish a really neutral larynx. Uh, relax larynx and then take them off and continue singing through there so if you are brave or if you have someone that you know with um, noise canceling headphones that would be an interesting thing to try vocal fry uh, hopefully you know what vocal fry is whenever you get down here um, <laughs> I like to joke that it's kind of the uh, the Kardashian mode of speech oh my gosh like and it's it's a habit it's been perpetuated in uh, social media in pop culture, let me be clear. If you're not a 50-year-old dramatic bass, this is not good for your voice. When you speak in vocal fry, it resembles this like gravelly, toneless, crunching sound, um, often placed at the end of phrases, dropping off to give this air of like no big deal. And it's horrible for your voice. Please, 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 please. Especially if you're a young female with a high voice type, this is, this is, oh, I can't tell you how bad it is for your voice. And I hear, I hear young women do it all the time uh, in the hallways between classes. And I just, I, uh. so vocal fry, no bueno, please do not do it. Be mindful of socially acceptable, uh, be mindful of socially acceptable uh, vocal abuse, such as yelling at sporting events, at social events. Uh, if you're out with your friends and you're dancing and it's loud and there's music, you may not realize how loud you're speaking in order to be heard over the, all the ruckus and the music and the atmosphere around you. But then whenever you get home for the night and your voice feels like it's completely swollen like a softball, then that you start to realize exactly how loud you've been speaking the whole night. Um, sporting events in the South, especially Texas, it's so difficult because I know that a lot of my students are in band and they want to be part of that event. They want to be part of that culture. No matter how big of a fan you are, no matter how well your team is performing, please, 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 please do not yell. Um, you can, you can uh, fake it, pull an Ashley Simpson and mouth it, act like you're yelling. There's going to be enough noise around you that hopefully no one's going to catch on if you're self-conscious about it. I got to the point when I realized what I was doing to my voice when I would go, you know, watch my college team, that I, I would just stop yelling. And if people had a problem with it, big whoop. I mean, <laughs> if this is going to be my career and this is what I want to do, then I have to be serious. And if that means that I don't let loose at a football game, then that's okay. Um, and if you're going to have to make noise, at the very least, support the sound, um, kind of like a stage uh, stage, not stage yell. Uh, if you're going to make noise, at the very least, try to support the sound. So for our very last do, do get plenty of sleep prior to the day of performance. Uh, I cannot I cannot sell to you enough the value 
of getting fantastic sleep. And I know we're all different in how we approach that. Some people are lucky enough to only need three or four hours of sleep a night. I don't understand how you do that. Whatever voodoo you're doing, <laughs> you're conducting to get a good night's sleep within three or four hours. I am so very jealous. Um, I'm one of those weirdos that need at least like nine hours of sleep a night in order to feel like a human being, which makes me then feel like grandmother because I go to sleep and I stay asleep and I, I, oh, I don't understand. <laughs> so sleep at the very least when you're asleep, your body is healing itself. It's regenerating. Your body shuts down, uh, to the very bare minimum of functions. That way it can go through and fix whatever you've done <laughs> to it, which includes your vocal cords. So when you're getting ready for an audition, ideally you're rehearsing, you're warming up, you're working with your coach, you're working with your accompanist. And a good night's sleep each night is going to make sure that whatever minor tears or inflammation or fatigue your vocal cords experience while gearing up for that day is going to be healed overnight. Please be careful when you're when you're getting good sleep. Don't be tempted to use sleep aids. Um, sleep aids such as those found in NyQuil. I know that they've isolated that in what the product is now called ZQuil. Uh, Stiphenhydramine, what you find in Benadryl. This is actually also used as an antihistamine, and antihistamines will dry you out. Oh my goodness gracious! I mean, that's the point, right? When you have a clogged up nose full of uh, mucus, you, you know, from allergies, you take an antihistamine to block it and to dry you out. Therefore you can breathe again. Um, and th they'll have that same reaction to your vocal cords. And if your vocal cords are dry, they're inflexible, they don't phonate or come together cleanly. So really try not to use those sleep aids if you're not getting good sleep. There's other methods you can use to get good sleep, whether that's uh, turning off your screens <laughs> uh, by 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. Uh, the, the white light, the blue light, excuse me, the blue light in our screens doesn't allow the melatonin production to regulate uh, like it normally would in our, in our eyes especially. So turning off your screen, turning off the TV is a more natural way of trying to reset your body's circadian rhythm, uh, resetting its sleep cycle, um, not consuming caffeine in the afternoon. So that way when you get to the evening, you don't have anything amping you up and your body is ready to go down. Uh, taking a nice bath, a warm bath with some lavender, maybe a lavender candle can help gear your body down. So trying more natural methods as opposed to using those um, medications, those sleep aids is really important. Of course, if you have a prescription, if your doctor has pres prescribed you something for a medical reason, I'm in no way saying don't take your medicine. Please take whatever your doctor tells you to take. That is my disclaimer. <laughs> um, also really important to note, taking a nap the day of the performance is not a good idea. Prior to performance, good sleep is paramount. Day of the performance, if you go to sleep, that reset process is going to begin, including if you take a 30-minute, an hour, a two-hour nap. Your body's going to reset. It's going to start the healing process. You're going to have to start from scratch when you wake up. In all of those warm-up procedures that we had talked about earlier in this episode, you'll have to start those from zero. So do not take a nap the day of the performance. I don't care how tired you are. I don't care what's been going on. It's not going to help you. 
And that's going to do it, guys, for performance preparation do's and don'ts. Uh, if you're one of my students in our Vocal Studio hybrid course, please feel free to comment below this lecture and add any additional tips or tricks that you found work best for you to help out your fellow vocalists. If you're not one of my students and you happen upon this podcast episode and you also would like to share your own experiences, feel free to go to thesingingacademic.org. There is a blog post of the same name, Performance Preparation Do's and Don'ts, where you can comment and add discussions uh, for others to see and share. Thank you guys so much and happy new year. I hope you have a wonderful semester until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the singing academic with each episode. We offer show notes and a full transcript on our website. So please be sure to visit www.thesingingacademic.org to access these additional resources. Find more singing academic podcast episodes on iTunes and Spotify. And finally, if you found this episode helpful, please be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. See you all next time.